All right, we are back in Second John. Last week, we studied together the first three verses, and in that opening or that greeting, John addressed the churches to whom he's writing with what I would call a, a real shepherd's heart, a true shepherd's heart. Uh, he, he emphasized that his love for them it's not mere sentiment, but that it is based in truth, in God's own truth. And then he further emphasized this point by, in a very, very confident way, asserting that all true believers everywhere love them the same way, with the same love. And he's able to be confident like that, confident in this, because The love to which he refers, which of course is agape love, it's what binds all true believers together. It's what binds the church together, the individual members of the church. And John is not only confident in this as a fact, but he he understands and is communicating to them the importance of of this love that all true believers have for the church. You see, remember at that time, the church was in serious danger. It was in serious danger because of the threat of false teaching. The love that, that all true believers have for the church, and it's important, it's very important, that love will actually strengthen them and will strengthen us in the challenge that they were facing, specifically about them, they were facing in dealing with these false teachers. Then John concludes his greeting with a declaration to his readers, a declaration that they will experience God's blessings, his blessings of grace, mercy, and peace. His confident declaration of this is what I see as another of John's means of assuring his readers of their salvation, of their standing before the Lord, and encouraging them to continue standing firm in the face of true, real, actual spiritual danger. Now tonight, Lord willing, we'll be studying together the next four verses, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. So let's, let's read these together, and then we'll take a look at them verse by verse. So this is 2 John, beginning in verse 4. He says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is 
the deceiver, and the Antichrist. Amen. Okay, now in verse 4, he begins with this phrase, I rejoiced greatly. And it, it reminds me of the early verses in his first letter, 1 John, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And he uses the same root word here, the same root word in Greek. And, and what it means specifically, this word means to, to delight or to delight in, to be glad, to be happy, but to be exceedingly happy. I would say it like this. It's used to describe that which is your greatest source of happiness and contentment. And he, what John does is he links this, this joy, this spiritual joy, with doctrinal truth. And he does so in an inseparable way. So this joy, this, this true spiritual joy that he's describing here, it's only experienced when we are in right relationship to God's truth. The joy that he's describing here, it thrives in God's truth. It grows, it deepens, it spreads by design, by God's own design, in God's truth. I would say that it is so reliant upon and inseparable from God's truth that it literally cannot exist or survive outside of it, outside of God's truth. And then looking at it conversely, this joy doesn't exist. There is no joy, not the joy that that John is experiencing and describing here, in error, in falsehood, or in deception. And error, falsehood, and deception was the very danger the church was facing at that time. Now, John's point here is that this joy, the joy of true Christian fellowship can only and does only exist in an environment where there is a shared understanding of and commitment to the truth. And that's an environment of true believers when we are all on the same page, so to speak, of understanding God's truth and being committed to God's truth. That is where we will experience this joy that, he's, that he experienced and, and he's describing to us. John experienced this joy because he was confident that these believers, the ones to whom he's writing, that these believers knew God's truth understood God's truth, and were firmly committed to God's truth. And think about this, their understanding, from their perspective, their understanding of this joy and the source of this joy in the way that I've just been trying to describe it to you, their understanding of this was for them a real encouragement, a real encouragement. 
And this affirmation that John is giving, and that's what he's giving here. Affirmation is a, is a public declaration, and that's what John's doing here. This affirmation is also a strong encouragement to these believers. John, here he's, I see this as he's, he's fulfilling the role of a spiritual father to these believers, encouraging them, encouraging them to continue walking the way he sees them walking in truth. And at the same time, because remember, these letters were, were read publicly in the church. So at the same time, he is challenging those who hear these words and who are not walking in truth to change their course, to get back on the right path. So it's a challenge also. This encouragement that he's giving to the, to the true believers here, it comes at a very important time. Remember, and we, we, we talked about this several times in our study through 1 John, but the church and, and many of the individual members of the church, the individual believers, they were young, young in the Lord, the church was young, and they were vulnerable. The very foundation of the church and the faith the foundation of the faith of these believers was under attack. It was under attack by these false teachers, those who John referred to as antichrists. Now he goes on to say, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Now, let me begin by saying, although the text is not explicit here, it clearly implies that by some way or another, John has learned that certain members of these congregations were walking in the truth. We don't know how exactly, and, and that's not really important, but he knew. Somehow he knew. He found out. And he emphasizes his joy in the true believers. He's focusing in on those who are walking in truth. It's clear from the context of all three of his letters that the churches to whom he wrote, and again, we've, we, we developed this, we talked about this in our study through 1 John, but these churches had mixed populations. Okay, some of the members of these churches were walking in the truth. They were true believers. But remember, some of them were not walking in the truth. John referred to them as false believers. They claimed to have a relationship with Jesus, but their claim was false. These false believers were spreading lies. They were spreading false doctrine pertaining to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. And they were having an influence on at least some of the true believers. And again, remember, there were, there were young, there were vulnerable believers, young in the Lord, believers in some of these churches. So John's point here is that some, clearly not all, but some were still walking in truth, in spite 
of the danger, the, the spiritual danger from these false teachers that they were facing. And the fact that they were walking in truth, the fact that they were still walking in truth, brought John this, this great joy. Knowing that they were walking in truth was one of, if not the greatest source of joy for John at that time. It brought him tremendous joy, and that's the, the point here. Now, as he goes on to say, the, the, the phrase that he uses here, to find, um, in, in the original Greek language, this phrase is what's called a perfect tense verb. And what that means, basically, is it's describing a present state of being resulting from a past action. Now that, combined with the word picture that John uses here of walking, this would indicate that that he's confident that they are in, those whom he's addressing, the, the, the true believers here, they are in an ongoing, continual pattern of living spiritually healthy lives. The word picture that he uses, walk, walk means to advance along a given path. So these believers, they began the the path of righteous living when they were first born again. And what John sees is that they have not veered off that path. They've stayed true to the gospel that they heard in the beginning, that they believed in the beginning. To walk in the truth means to walk in accordance with the truth of the message of the gospel. That's what John saw in these people. It indicates that truth, God's truth, is both what we believe, that is what we profess, and how we live, what we do. And this, is, this principle is what we should apply in our lives to or in what I call, or what I'm calling self-evaluation. This is what we should do. We should ask ourselves this question. Am I living, that is, outwardly expressing for others to observe, am I living what I profess to believe? You see, this principle is at the heart of all of the tests that we studied all through 1 John. And remember, our actions don't cause or result in a relationship, a right relationship, a true relationship with Jesus. In other words, there's nothing that we can do, there's not a list of things for us to do in order to have a true relationship with Jesus. However, these actions are the empirical, that is the observable evidence of a true relationship with Jesus. So they won't cause 
that relationship. But when we have a true relationship, a real and actual relationship with the Lord Jesus, we will have, we will display and express these actions that, that John is describing here. Okay, he goes on to say, just as we were commanded by the Father. So here he's linking their lives, the, the outward, their outward observable behavior. He's linking their lives with the command of God. Their lives displayed the obedience, displayed obedience to God's command. And his, his focus, John's focus here in this passage, parallels what, what he wrote back in 1 John chapter 3, in the 23rd verse. He said, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. This is exactly what John is talking about in addressing these, these true believers. This is what he has found in these true believers. Obeying God's command, they were standing firm in the truth of Jesus Christ. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they were truly born again, and to this day, they have been standing firm in that truth, in the face of the danger of these false teachers. They're not believing the lies, but standing firm in the truth. And they were continuing to love one another, as we've been commanded to do. Praise God. All right, verse 5. In verse 5, he says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now here, John, he encapsulates and he summarizes why he wrote and distributed this letter. Why did he write it? He wrote it to exhort, to exhort them, to exhort us. And the exhortation is this, that we love one another that we love one another. And again, he's he's linking the truth of God's word with this love, this agape love. There must always be this proper and, and healthy balance of truth and love in living the Christian life. Notice the exhortation is not just that we love one another, but that we love one another according to God's command. In other words, the truth. Love outside of or devoid of God's truth is really not actually love at all. Not the love that we're commanded to have for one another. Not the love that God has for us, not agape. It's mere sentiment. And mere sentiment is not obedience 
to his command. It's merely obedience to our own emotions. Remember, John is referring here to agape, agape love, love that is much, much more than mere feelings and sentiment. Loving one another with agape is action motivated by the love that God has shown us and our desire to obey his command. So the exhortation is that we are to love one another as Christ loved us. And again, John specified this particular love back in 1 John. In uh, chapter 3, the 16th verse, he wrote, By this we know love. This is how we recognize love. That he, referring to the Lord Jesus, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, in that verse, he gave us the first and greatest example of agape in all of history, on display in the Lord Jesus. John chose the most effective way to define this love, agape, really and truly the only way to define it. He defines it, and he teaches us how to love in this verse, by way of the ultimate example of love. Jesus Christ, having laid down his life for us. This is truly the single greatest display of love in all of history. Agape originates from God, from God's very nature. It defines his nature. It's, a, it's an essential part of his nature. John said, God is love. God is agape. Agape is a love that exceeds, that greatly exceeds all forms of natural love. And because this love, agape love, originates from God, only those who are in Christ, true believers, are even capable of expressing this love. Therefore, it's not unreasonable to expect this love from children of God. It's not unreasonable at all to confidently expect it, to anticipate it coming from children of God. No more than expecting in the physical, in, physically for a child to resemble his parents. Right? I mean, don't we, don't we look for that? A couple has, has a child, and you are anticipating, you're expecting the child to look like his parents. It's no different than that. In fact, it is an essential element of being in Christ, abiding in Christ, being a true believer. To this extent, if this essential element of Christianity is missing from your life, 
And when I say this, I don't mean, I'm not talking about expressing it imperfectly. I'm not talking about failing here or there in expressing it. I'm talking about if it is missing from your life. It's just not there. Okay? If that's the case, then you're not truly born again. Because this is the very definition of being Christian. So John, in this verse, he defined love. And then he went on to tell us how to practically express it. Okay, I understand it, but how do I express that? How do I love the brethren? This is where he says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It, it literally means to die for one another. <clears throat> now, most likely, in all likelihood, none of us will ever be called to die for one another, right? But the question is, would you? And that's how we need to look at this. this that's what we need to ask ourselves. Would you? We're called to love one another to that degree, So what does that mean practically? Well, if you're willing to die for your brother, really and truly, if you're willing to die, then you will certainly sacrifice to any lesser degree. Things like, you're irritating me, (laughs) right? Or I just don't enjoy being around you. Those are certainly lesser sacrifices than dying. You see, this is the mark of a true believer. It's what identifies us as God's children. And all of that to say that this is the essence of his exhortation here in 2 John verse 5, when he says that we love one another. This is the love that he's talking about. Now, before we move on, just want to point out actually a couple more things quickly here. Notice his wording here. He asks, John asks, what the Lord himself has already given as a command. He says, and now I ask you, dear lady. Even though John, I would say, he certainly holds the authority to word this as a command, not a request. I think he poses it as a request here for a couple of reasons. First, it serves as a means of demonstrating to his readers that he's under God's authority as much as they are. It's like putting himself in the same boat with them. The request certainly comes across to them as a loving reminder, not a harsh order, to do what they know they should be doing. It's presented the way I think that a good and loving father would encourage his own children to continue to walk in the truth. And then finally, the word that we've translated here to ask What it means literally, it means to beg 
or to implore. It's what we would call a a request of the heart. And what that tells us is this is something that deeply matters to John. And that shows us, and it showed them, just how deeply he cares for and loves these believers. Okay, verse 6. Verse 6 says, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now, in this verse, John is further developing what love is from a biblical perspective. There's a lot of overlap here with, between verses 5 and verses 6. I'm, I'm convinced it's because John doesn't want his readers to misunderstand anything. He doesn't want them to miss anything. He doesn't want them to express their perception or their idea or definition of love and then think that they are obeying God's command by doing so. This is all too often what happens in Christian circles today. Believers will read and, and, and embrace God's command to love one another, but they do so out of context. They don't pay attention to God's meaning of love. They love one another according to their own definition of love. And this is, or at very least can be, in essence, nothing but a false claim of loving one another. That's not agape. When I'm loving you the way I want to love you, that's not agape. It's all too often a worldly, natural type of love. And again, we've talked about this before. This is a love that seeks primarily to gratify oneself. When I love you, as long as you're making me feel good, as long as I'm getting something out of it, as long as I'm enjoying the relationship, that's not agape. So the net result here is that they do the exact opposite, or at at, at very least, something very, very different from what God has actually commanded. The love to which John refers here, agape, can only be expressed within the boundaries of obedience to God's word, to God's truth. And this is that, that connection, that link, the integral connection between love and truth. He describes it, John describes it as behavior that continually moves in the direction of and according to the standards laid out in God's word. Truth. This is where he says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. So agape is so much more than mere sentiment. 
It's so much more than even than intense emotion. That kind of love, that worldly natural love, is self-serving. And it only aims to please oneself. Agape is very, very different. Agape is action for the good or for the benefit of another. And it always functions within the boundaries of God's truth. John then parallels what he taught in detail back in 1 John chapter 2. I want to read um, verses 7 through 11 just by way of reminder here. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. He says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So all of this was the original intent of God's command to his people to love one another. Stretched all the way back to the law of Moses. And then more clearly described, explained, and expressed through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the advantage here. We have been given the fullness of understanding this love, what it means to love one another by looking to the Lord Jesus. John here knows that that agape is an essential part of God's nature and that it was God's intention from the beginning that we love one another in this way. He considers it foundational to Christian conduct. He considers it foundational to Christianity. And he strongly desires that his readers, and of course us, by extension, to see this the same way. And then he ends this verse with a purpose statement. He says, so that you should walk in it. So why has God gone to such extent to teach us, to show us, to demonstrate to us, and to give us his love, his agape. John says, so that you should walk in it, so that we will walk in it, so that we will receive it, so that we will believe it, understand it, embrace it, be filled with it, and then to express it, to 
overflow it to one another. So you see, I hope you see, that it's impossible to practice agape, to express agape, without obeying God's commands. Agape in the lives of all true believers is seen in and through their acts of obedience to God's commands. Praise God. And now finally, verse 7. Here he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, in verses 4, 5, and 6, John has laid out a solid foundation for the importance of walking in truth and walking in love. He's linked, integrally linked, these two concepts or or principles, indicating that they're not just individually necessary and essential elements of the Christian walk and life, but that these two principles are connected in an inseparable way. You literally and actually cannot have one without the other, truly. He begins this verse with, you know, the the ever-so-important connector word, for. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. What this means, literally it means because, because of, or since. And it explains the need of what he has just developed, what he's been developing through these these three verses, 4, 5, and 6. Why he finds it so important that his readers walk in the truth. Why is it so important? Well, because the reason is that there are individuals who at one time outwardly embraced and believed the truth, or at least they claimed to have. But they've turned away. They've turned away from the truth, and they are now embracing the lies of the world. They no longer confess. In other words, they deny one of the essentials of the Christian faith, and that is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these individuals who John identifies as deceivers and antichrists at the time, they're still interacting with the church. They're still claiming to be true believers. They are actively spreading lies, false doctrine. They're denying that Christ came in the flesh. And in some cases, as I said before, they're they're influencing, they're having an influence on some some of the true believers. These are the ones that John identifies as false believers. Those who claim to have a true relationship with Jesus, but they don't really. 
Their claim is false. He described him back in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. He said, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, when we studied that passage, we spent an entire evening, an entire study, developing who these deceivers and antichrists are and how harmful they are to the church. Just as a very, very brief recap, any person who denies that Jesus is the Christ is antichrist. The spirit of antichrist is the influence that leads a person to deny that Jesus is the Christ, that is, God incarnate. So anyone who deceives another about God coming in the flesh, in the man Jesus Christ, anyone who denies the doctrine of the incarnation, that God the Son became a human being, is Antichrist. Like I said, brief recap there. We spent an entire study on it. This is such an important and unfortunately a very, very misunderstood issue. I would encourage you to go back and re-listen to that full study. It's about an hour long. It's out there on on Sermon Audio. It's titled Antichrist. And uh, the date, if you're searching for it, it was um, taught on March 18th of 2021. So I encourage you to Go back and re-listen to that. And if you, if you weren't here that evening, listen to it for the first time. So John leads up to all of this by linking God's truth and God's love the way he has because there is, I'm, I'm calling it a protective element of loving one another that was critical for these readers to understand and to embrace. And it's equally critical for us to understand and embrace. Now, this this protective element that I'm talking about, it's especially important for shepherds who love their flocks, as the Lord Jesus does, to protect their churches. However, this principle is not limited in any way to shepherds of churches. John expresses the importance for all true believers to exercise this principle. And this is demonstrated, he demonstrates it throughout all of his letters, all three of his letters. It's the reason he wrote the letters. So I led you up to somewhat of a cliffhanger here. John addresses this element of protection in the next passage by advising his readers not to permit the Antichrist's entrance into the church. And that will be the topic of our next study. So let's pray.
Father, thank you for this wonderful exhortation to stand firm in the truth that you sent your Son to become man, to save us and make us your own, and to love one another as you love us. Thank you for that exhortation, for that reminder. Father, I pray that you will please give us and all who will ever hear this message the grace to embrace it and to live it. Amen.